is another huge week for women's rugby. A couple of weeks out now for the Six Nations. And we think, as we were recording, that we are getting some fixture news. Lo and behold, we have got Alison Hughes to put some meat on the bone of the WXV announcement last week. It is only positive news coming out of the women's game. We've got results as ever. We've got the fixtures. We've got the opinions of a World Cup winner. I'm Johnny Hammond. And I'm Rachel Burford. And this is the Women's Rugby Pod. Morning, Berth. How are we? How's the how's the calf? Are we back to full on training now? Almost. Um, no, things are really good. Thank you, Johnny, for asking. Um, back training a lot more. Um, quite ahead of schedule at the moment. So it's all good on a personal front. Um, what about yourself? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, we're fine. Thank you. Uh, the uh, the news bearing down on us. Um, lots and lots of positives around women's sport. Perhaps we'll touch on the, uh, the football in a sec. But literally dropping as we were recording on this early Tuesday morning is the news that uh, large swathes of the women's Six Nations is to be broadcast on the BBC uh, Terrestrial Channel. Good news for you? Yeah, I think it's brilliant news. Um, look, I know there's been a lot of noise about time getting it out there and talking about it, but I think, um, look, we've got them now, so let's get behind it. It's a bit excited about it. We know that there's a good audience and an appetite there with the figures that came out of the autumn um, internationals. Um, so, yeah, really pleased, really excited. Let's get some hype behind it. Um, yeah, can't wait for it to kick off in, what, is it 10 days? 10 days' time? Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, it's around that. Um, yeah, I mean, extraordinary that we're only just finding out now, and that's not uh, that's official. That's come from Fee Thomas to the uh, the Telegraph. Um, yeah, so let's let's just tell you now uh, verbally, and we'll put this all out on our social media. Obviously, um, that first weekend, England against Scotland up at the mighty Donny Castle Park, uh, three o'clock BBC iPlayer. First weekend, France against Wales. On the iPlayer as well at eight o'clock. Second round, let's just do that for now. Italy, England uh, is on the iPlayer. That's two o'clock. Wales against Ireland on BBC Wales and the BBC iPlayer. Now, final weekend, uh, that England game is going to go on BBC Two. Um, so, yes, not difficult for people to find because I, I think we've got our regular rugby fans. They're going to find those games where, wherever they're wherever they are. But I think you've got to make it easy for people. And there's no criticism here at the broadcaster because um, I suspect this late in the day, it's very difficult to even fit the sort of games in. So um, that has to be laid back at the tournament organisers um, who still um, unable to, to get in contact uh, w- with us or re- reply to our sort of offers of help to support and what have you. Um, but yeah, great, great. That final game is, is on BBC Two and it's, it's out there and, um, on terrestrial television, so yeah, a really, really good bit of news. A bit like the uh, the women's football as well. That's some some good news this week, Berth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, seeing the the amount of investment they're now getting for broadcast, you know, it, it's been in the pipeline. And, and you know, everybody always talks about rugby as being a few years behind football. Well, hopefully, you know, that announcement can help us accelerate in that space as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a proper commitment from a from a broadcaster. That is, um, take note, ye all. Uh, moving on to the club game, then 
birth. Harlequins and Saracens already qualified for the semi-finals. Uh, probably not not a surprise to to many, but boy, those semi-finals. Yeah, right. It's going to be real. Like whoever you get, whoever finishes in the third and fourth position, um, it is going to be an absolute tough battle. Um, really proud that that we've made it in, obviously, and I'm sure Saracens will feel the same. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a tough year. Um, set aside COVID and everything like that, just in terms of fixtures and results, we haven't seen a year like it where we've got upsets, you know, knocking the top things off, and and so yeah, it makes business end so so exciting. And yeah, I mean, the next couple of weeks is going to be pretty tasty for those um, third and fourth playoffs. Indeed, so we'll go into some Premier 15s news a little bit later on. But let's let's get to our guest amid all this good news. We just felt uh, the WXV global competition that uh, World Rugby have put together. Um, yeah, it came to us rather a rush last week. Uh, we obviously gave it a initial reaction, but just wanted to get a, a little bit of meat on the bone. There was a few questions, a few People suggesting various bits on social media. So we've got Alison Hughes on coming up now. Uh, she's the current World Rugby Competitions Operations Manager and Rugby World Cup 2022 uh, Tournament Director. So let's just remind you then of the WXV. It's a 16-team, three-tier global competition set to begin in 2023. 6.4 million investment from World Rugby in the first two years. Unified International 15th Canada comprise of two playing windows. Can't even read my notes this morning, Berth. Uh, and on an annual basis, optimizing player welfare and performance. Groundbreaking global international 15th Canada set to accelerate development of the women's game ahead of expanded World Cup 2025. Canada reflects World Rugby's long-term commitment to establishing a high competitive and global test calendar to elevate standards. WXV offers hosts diversified revenue generating opportunities. There's the media claptrap. I'm Abby Scott. Let's hear and you're it. listening to the Women's Report. Lady herself. Here's Alison. Great to have you on with us today, Alison. Um, some huge news coming out that rippled around the globe uh, for women's rugby. I mean, can you take us back to where this all began, all the conversations, the ideas, the pen to paper, and kind of help us through that process and, and help our listeners understand how you kind of started and then where we are to announcement, all excitement, all eyes on 2023. Good morning, Rachel. Thank you very much for having me. Um, gosh, how long is the programme? <laughs> um, so I will bring you back to September 2018 um, and we were in a room in Australia with a load of our regional um, association representatives and we started talking about women's high performance, sevens, fifteens, all things women's, looking forward to 21, um, looking forward to Olympics, looking forward to sevens World Cups and the germ of an idea came from all credit to Mark Egan, um, former head of our competitions area, and Peter Horn, who's currently in our HP area, her high performance, and said, you know, wouldn't it be great to get a structure on our um, October, November or September, October window? Wouldn't it be great to 
give everybody a focus, let everybody be able to ch channel through to um, from regional uh, competitions into an annual competition. And that that germ just took and spread. And so we had lots of workshops in Dublin. We had calls, we had Zooms, we had um, uh, presentations to all of our various committees. Um, we came up with lots of different plans for them to consider. Um, and we came back through consultation with all of the unions and all the regions. We talked and talked and talked about this with everybody who had an interest in women's 15s and, and settled on this three match program, um, 16 teams every year. You have to qualify out of your regional competition to get into it. Um, and it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing step forward, I think, for women's 15s. It gives us, uh, for the first time, programme managers can plan from Rugby World Cup to Rugby World Cup and know exactly what they're aiming for. So um, great step forward. Yeah, delighted to have it out there. hundred um, percent. Of course, there'll be a few bits that um, people go, it's individual nations or whatever. But uh, as a general whole, it is... Unbelievable, unbelievable news, uh, Alison. How I just wanted to, to to pop in and just just ask how 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 easy. I mean, you see, you came together in that that, that room in Australia, probably an Oki Chardonnay on the go, something like that, and, and just putting putting the bits and pieces together in the men's game. And this is my just my personal opinion. It's so fragmented. It's very very difficult to organise. It seems completely opposite in the women's game. Is that a, a, a psychological thing that everybody buys into trying to grow the game? Or is it in its infancy that you can shape it quite easily because because it's quite embryonic? Or, or is it a touch of both? I think I think it is a touch of both. I think um, we have, we there is an awful lot of commercial activity more so now than ever, but but even back then, even in, in 18 and 19, and, and, and that's how fast things are moving in that space, that um, the commercial and the broadcast elements to it were uh, were limited in some regions, um, were a little bit more expansive in others. And so we had the opportunity to mould and shape and then present that moulded version to broadcasters and to commercial partners and sponsors, as opposed to having to back out deals um, and then have to, to reshape and present it again. So we were able to do that. We were able to talk about um, a, a clear enough space to be able to create a competition that then would be really exciting and attractive for everybody um, to sell in their local markets. Um, so, yeah, th there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of, of uh, you know, a real, a real engagement and a real desire from everybody who was working in the women's 15 space and, and the women's space in total really to do something creative and and really some of the egos were left outside the door a lot of people you know who came particularly to a meeting we had in hong kong in may of uh 2019 i have to think about that uh, we certainly weren't there in 2020 but uh in 2019 and, and a lot of conversations started with that won't suit our team but it's better for the game a lot of conversations over two days started like that. And it was it was a privilege really to sit in that room and listen to those men and women talk about how they really wanted to improve the lot of, of women's players and, and were prepared to do pretty much whatever it took to make that happen. Oh, brilliant to brilliant to hear that because yeah it's it's that's a little bit like hen seeth, isn't it, hearing uh, stuff like that. Um what is is it also and I get the impression that um, you've got your leading nations, you know, 
uh, in terms of commercially and, and on the field and what have you. You look at England, New Zealand, France, these kind of players. Is this this model also designed to push everyone up to that more more of that kind of level? Um, and just give us a little bit of detail as to how that's going to happen, Alison, would you? Okay. Um, so 16 teams in this competition overall. Every year, 16 teams will compete. We've kept each of the levels to three matches. So that does two things. One is it doesn't overburden those unions who maybe wouldn't have experienced that much test rugby in a year at the moment. Um, but it does give a sufficient amount of matches to some. And because we're keeping it to three matches and we're the, the, the actual window itself from September to October is uh, seven weeks long, it gives those nations who are capable and want to and have a desire to play far more rugby, it gives them a, a broader window in which to do that. So it's it's kind of catering to all tastes, if you like, um, all shapes and sizes, as we would normally do. Um, so three levels. Uh, level one is um, 16 tournament, single venue, two pools of three. They'll play cross pool. They'll be the top three from the Six Nations and the top three from a new um, regional competition that we'll run, which will be Australia, Canada, USA and New Zealand. Um, and, and so those top teams will play against each other. Then the next two um, levels are a six team and a four team tournament. And again, these are some of the teams that would be would have a desire to play a lot of rugby and some teams who are coming up through the pathway. Um, and they're, they're, there's an opportunity there for every team who competes well in their regional competition to go on and equally take that higher slot and, and compete well in WXV. So there's an opportunity for teams really to set, to, to have an aspirational tournament to play in, first of all, to, to really want to play in those higher levels, but equally playing against teams that are in their own level, suitable for them. Um, and then an opportunity always to come in to that 16 competition because the bottom of level three will have to play off against the next best ranked team. So always an opportunity then for those, uh, for teams below the 16 to come in and break through into that. So, oh, excuse me, always an opportunity to rise through the, the WXV ranks and to break into the competition itself. I think uh, we asked our, our listeners to have any sort of areas qualify, um, and just clear up for us in, in since the dust has settled since the announcement. The tier one relegation promotion um, seems to be a kind of um, the main kind of talking point. The floor is yours, Alison, to, to clarify that for, for people. Promotion relegation from tier one um, is suspended basically just for year one, as I understand That's it. it. That's it. Um, for the for the first cycle, which will be twenty three and twenty four. Yeah. So it's and remember, it's the regional positions that are promoted and relegated. So, um, it may end up being six or sorry, three different teams from six nations every year because you have to yeah. go back and qualify. So it's not we're not saying this is the top three teams and they go in and they stay in for two or three years. They they go in for the first year. And then they must go back through the regional competition and they must compete again. So, for example, the first year could be England, France and Scotland, let's say. But, but all three teams have to go back through Six Nations. So the next year could be England, Scotland and Ireland equally. So while we're keeping the structure, the regional place structure of level one set for the first year, and really that's just to help us bed in, 
it's help it's to help us attract those commercial partners those broadcast partners get some certainty in terms of hosting for that year for that level for those two years i beg your pardon um but but every year those teams could and potentially will change um so so again it's it's allowing fluidity for for all of the teams and allowing access for all of the teams nothing is nothing is set from year to year with that um third place in the six stages being being a qualifier which will will we'll make a, a yeah an, another element to the six stages where where does that where does that leave spain a, a, another sort of question that's 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 out there yeah so um level 2 and level 3 also have um two places for europe each so seven places for europe in the 16 team format uh, and we've asked Re Rugby Europe and Six Nations to have a conversation about how those places are determined. At what point is there a playoff? How is how is it decided where that um, team from, one would assume, the top of the Euro Rugby Europe Championship, but I don't want to put yeah. words in your mouth, they're going to come back with conversations and tell us what's what's happening there. But definitely space, no doubt about it. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just, we're just waiting to see how, how we're going to, put that seventh European team in and where they're going to slot in and how they're going to earn the right to do that. Joe, one more for, for me, Berth. Um Australasia, six, six places? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Why? Some people think that's a little bit top-heavy. Why particularly that, that amount in that region? Well, again, Johnny, it's, it's a starting point for us. So... Okay. Um, you know, acknowledged that New Zealand definitely are up there in the top. We have that new, as I say, cross-regional tournament. Um, then another, it's it's right and proper that we have another oceanic team in there. So that would be Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, PNG, um, Japan um, and Hong Kong certainly could compete for a couple of places within the 16. So, but again, you know, it's up to the teams who are starting us off in 23 to win their matches not only for their team but also for their region to retain that regional spot in, in that level the following year and not see that drop out or have to go to playoffs or go into the next level so it's a starting position and i dare say at the end of 24 we'll have a very different regional structure in level two and level three than we start off with so yeah look it's it's, it's giving it's giving opportunities um there to to what we hope is a is a raft of different regions and a, and a and a good spread to start us off with and then uh the, the matches and the the results of those matches will uh, will determine what it looks like then at the end of 24 and then it's all up for discussion johnny that's the point yeah we take a little pause for rugby world cup 2025 we have more conversations about what's worked what hasn't um, how we can make it better. Can we expand it? Do we need to reduce it? Do we need to alter the, the number of teams in each level? So it gives us an opportunity to look at it again and say, okay, how can we do this better for uh, for 26 to 28? And just as you mentioned there about 2025, Johnny's getting excited about all of this. I am. It's, really, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. It is. It's amazing think, to be able to put it together. It's brilliant. I think to talk about the regionals and just like one of the biggest statements everything is to play for you know every game is meaningful it gives that aspirational pathway to them want to be to be able to play into the global calendar um but how significant is this for 2025 rugby world cup we know that it's expanding in teams how important is this competition going to be towards that as well yeah 2025 is, is going to a 16 team tournament which is great as well um right and proper as well um we are 
Yeah, we're excited about having all of those teams, having 16 teams um, play for two two really solid years um, beforehand. Would have been nice to be three, but but it's two. So we focus on, on helping the high performance um, of those teams that maybe need a little assistance. Um, they would be at the, the sort of bottom end of those 16 teams. Obviously, we're, we're hoping to work the competition WXV into the qualification pathway as well. Um, so, you know, as you're as you're working three teams through their regional competition and through WXV and they're, you know, they have to come back and, and go through regional again. Um, it would be it would make no sense not to include it really in, in qualification. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to have a big impact on the on closing that gap between the top teams and, and the teams lower down and, and, you know, helping our high performance, just helping our high performance assessments, even being able to have regular competition to put around those teams and having regular competition in which to assist them um, and, and bring those standards. So it, it, it's just, it, it's just helping all boats to rise. It's helping everybody to, to improve their standards and, and work towards a really, really competitive 25 and, and a 29 is the sky's the limit. Oh, sky's the limit. We love hearing chat like that. Alison, just just pretend um, Dom Rumbles um, hasn't done lots of training and, uh, and isn't listening. On, on, on a personal level, just just how exciting is it to be, to be at the forefront of something that the sport has never done before and I mean, you've just said it there. The the sky's the limit. The the trajectory of women's rugby right now is just it's just like that. How on a personal? How just how exciting is it? Johnny Dam Rumbles is always listening. <laughs> always listening. But we can pretend. We can pretend. <laughs> it's it, it's a. I have to say again, and and it and it sounds trite, and, and I'm not. It, I'm, that's not my intention. But it is a real privilege. It is a real privilege sitting sitting in some of those meetings and listening to you know to, to people who rely on women's rugby for their for their livelihood setting aside their personal goals their you know some of their union instructions in some cases and saying okay well it's not great for us but but we'll do it because it's better for the game and that that is it it's overwhelming at some sometimes because that's not conversations that you hear a lot of the time in any sport or in any business people setting aside their own their own um requirements in some cases so yeah it's been a real privilege it's been it's been very interesting the reaction and saying you know the the men's game obviously you know it would be lovely if if we could replicate this in the men's game and 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 help some of the teams who are you know striving towards rugby world cup and and do it in some way with them but it's it's nice to see that the women are setting the standards and we're doing it from from the top down uh and really you know really uh, focusing on and and saying unless the teams below the top six or below the top eight unless they start to get better unless our standards rise across the globe we're, we're going nowhere. We can't make this a more attractive product. We can't make Rugby World Cup an attractive product. We want to make this that something that, um, you know, that everybody wants to invest in, whether that's fans investing in the in the price of a ticket to come and see it or whether it's sponsors investing millions of dollars or pounds in in sponsoring a, a competition. We, we want to make that product the best we can. And, and everybody to working working towards that goal is is pretty awe inspiring. Yeah, it, it's 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 been a. A roller coaster couple of years, but it's been great. 
COVID chucked in the mix there just to, to make things a little bit more difficult. And um, we just want to touch just briefly on 2021 Rugby World Cup. And obviously you're at the heart of that as well. Um, and we had to come to the difficult decision to postpone it to 2022. I mean, how difficult was that decision um, to come to that? Or was it, you know, actually this is the absolute right thing and it was quite an easy decision to make? Um, I think emotionally it was a very difficult decision to make. It was a very uh, recognising that an awful lot of people and an awful lot of athletes had put in an awful lot of hard work with a focus of September 21. That was that was very tough, but it was the easiest tough decision we've ever made because it became almost impossible to to take a turn in, in, in any way uh, looking at the operations and how we were going to get teams into New Zealand and how we were going to provide a decent environment and, and doing that with any kind of credibility and any kind of safe manner. Um, so it really, in the end, the decision almost made itself. Um, so, yeah, very tough. And, and my heart goes out to all of the players who are still struggling with it, I'm sure. But you know, those players and those teams deserve the very best World Cup that we can provide for them. And that is going to be in 22. It wasn't going to be in 21, unfortunately. Magic. Oh, I want to go and put my boots on and run around the garden and play some rugby. And uh, now, Alison, genuinely, um, really great to to speak to you the, 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 this morning. Um, I just go, yeah, great to, to drill down on some of those 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 details that sort of have been knocking around the sort of it's kind of quite a tight community certainly in the, in the UK the sort of women's rugby sort of fan base and um, those questions have been knocking around so really appreciate you coming on and giving us some clarity and um, yeah inspiring us all thank you very much for for everything you're, you're, you're doing for the game and uh, truly groundbreaking stuff so thank you so much thank you thanks for having me again much appreciated don't be silly and we'll, uh, we'll speak to you down the line okay talk to you soon Cheers, Alison. Bye. Uh, I know you tell you that the Mickey Bear fan will be, be getting excited about these things, but, but I, I genuinely do. And that is, yes, there, there's going to be things to iron out. There's going to be the odd little crease, you know. And and, and I think Alison answered some of those sort of major sticking points that that people have had. But this is utterly groundbreaking for the sport of rugby. Um, it, it truly is incredibly exciting. Yeah, and, you know, she spoke very well about the process and how they've got to where they got to and making sure that all stakeholders are involved in that and from a player point of view, from the union's point of view in the regions. And, you know, hearing her say, you know, that people in that room, it might not fit them right now, but they can see the long-term game of this and they can see that it will benefit their, their union in times to come. And I think that's the, the most exciting and in all part of it is that we've, we've collectively come together to make this happen because we know long term it's the right thing to do and it's the best thing to do for the game as a whole. Yeah, 100%. To, to hear that you're, you're in a room with men and women from all areas uh, of the globe and for for those people to put aside even you know their union's preferences for, for the greater good of the game, I mean, so, so rare, you know, even here, people can't see past their own club. Left, I mean, and the men's game, it's just, it's a million miles away. So incredibly, incredibly refreshing. And hopefully for those that, um, yeah, had a few of those crinkles, you know, those creases uh, that Alison has put some some 
some meat on the bone, as it were, hearing from uh, the lady in charge of it all. And yeah, if somebody like her is in charge, um, there's a steel behind the eyes there, isn't there, with uh, with Alison, but a real, real fun sense uh, of life as well. And um, yeah, clearly someone who can who can get stuff done. So uh, well done, Alison. And three cheers for the WXV. Hey, I wasn't really going to do three cheers. Yeah. I'm Marley Packer, and you're listening to Women's Rugby Pod. So not a huge amount of news to uh, bring up to date with, Burr, uh, mainly on the uh, on the home front. Obviously, that breaking news we touched on the beginning of the show is the major news, but uh, domestically here in England, Harlequin, Saracens already qualify, and Saracens did that with a 34-21 victory over Exeter. You called that. Yeah, um, I think knowing how the game went against Exeter Chiefs and Saracens last time, Saracens were out for revenge and... But I mean, the first half you wouldn't have you wouldn't have thought it with a down at half time twenty one ten. But there's just something within Saracens that uh, I wish I knew what it was. The the way that they can stay in a fight and turn things around for themselves is unbelievable. Um, how many times have we seen them turn it around for them and to win games, turn around like, and I mean like big score lines and come back from it in ten or twelve minutes? I've been there. Um, it's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, what is it? As simple as Alex Austerbury needs to video and, and bottle his halftime team talks, or, or or is there something else? Have you ever got to the bottom of what it is? No, I mean, when we had Lottie clap over on over Christmas, I tried to ask her about it, and I think both herself and Alex don't want to be in those positions, to be honest. But what is ever being said at halftime, whether it's Alex or whether it's some of the players? Um, or whether it's just, you know, they've got this mindset that can just flick a switch whenever they need it to. Um, I don't know, but it's certainly uh, pretty incredible what they can do in terms of turning fixtures around. Yeah, because at 21-10 at halftime, they were down. Uh, congratulations to Bryony Cleal and Rosie Gallagher, 50 appearance for the club. Good to see those two back. Hey, Campbell, another week, another try. Early standard. Uh, and Zoe Harrison, uh, 100% off the tee. Congratulations to her. The other big headline game was the Lovra Lightning. Or should we say probably Loughborough Lightning. Uh, went down 14-36. Didn't yeah, see I that think, coming. No, I think, I mean, I expected a close game and probably to be yeah. go either way. But, you know, Wasser just on incredible form and, the player that is making them be on form and having such an integral part to how the club is playing is Megan Jones. The way that she can light up the entire team, you know, you talk about game changes and big players and she has become one of the biggest um, players within the Allianz Premier 15s um, side. So she is literally lighting up the stage as an individual, but the amount of opportunity she creates for her team is unbelievable. And, you know, when you've got sparks all across the pitch and then you've got somebody that can create stuff for those, you know, X-Factor players, then, you know, it's they're a tough side to beat. When you say those sparks, a lot of them are seven sparks. Tournament's coming up in May. How, how does that work then, Berth? 
Well, it's a good question, and I don't know a definitive answer on it. Um, obviously, the GB Sevens girls are in training at the moment. They're back in camp, and you know they're focusing on on Rio, and they would have not Rio. Well, going back in time, they're focusing on Tokyo, and I think you know right at the start of the season when you know the decisions were made to to pull back on the Sevens programs. Players needed to find clubs and wanted to play rugby. Um, so they would have had those open conversations um, at their rugby clubs and with their directors of rugby or their head coaches that that was their dream and that's where they want to go to. And I think, you know, the club would have been very supportive of that. So it'd be interesting what happens. But, you know, these players, their dream is to be an Olympic um, participant and they want to go to the, the Games. And in order to, to get themselves into the best position, they need to play some tournaments. With what's happened with COVID, there's not going to be many opportunities to actually play. Therefore, if there's a tournament in May, then I would probably expect to see players go and be a part of that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so what is performing on the uh, on the 15s side of things? Like Davis, another couple of tries for her. She's a bit like May Campbell, isn't she, sort of every single week? But she's now the league's top try scorer with 18. Um, she might be coming on the show soon as well. Anyway, uh, your team, Harlequins, put 62 points on to Bristol 7. And uh, a couple of workhorses, a couple of uh, war horses up front back for you. Good, good to see them back for not only for the quarters, but but also the the Red Rose of England. Yeah, no, really good to have, you know, Sarah Beckett back, Vicky Cornborough, and also Emily Robinson. I mean, just having one of those back is going to boost your side, let alone all three in one hit. So, yeah, really great for, to, for us to have those back and get us on the front foot and, you know, create some space and opportunities for our players to score. You know, good to see some of the backs getting over on the try line. And that's what we always like to see. And Eddie Green pulling out a drop goal just for the fun of it. You know, the only player to do drop goals in the Allianz Premier 15. So she's enjoying having that stat all to herself. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, the focus was to have a really good start and to go and impose ourselves on Bristol. Um, and, and yeah, the girls absolutely did that. And, you know, it gives them a lot of confidence going into this week. Yep. Well done, Ellie Green. Must be the fruit polos. Uh, Sales Sharks against DMP Durham Sharks. The Northern Derby. And a couple of players sort of in the international sort of field pick up some form as well, not only England, but, but Wales as well. I'm thinking sort of Lisa Newman. Yeah, no, really, really good result for South Sharks. I think they would have wanted to have a good result on the back of playing Harlequins the week before where, you know, they had a really good first half, but didn't quite finish in the in the second half or, or be able to stay in it. So they would have wanted to come out and, and put on a good display um, against their, their local rivals. Um, and yet again, you know, Katie Dane-Keene, MBE. MBE. Um, is integral to that and you know you know she's still doing what she did in an England shirt um, and great to see that you know she's driving that squad and, and the players around her to, to good things yeah indeed he's so uh, the other other game was Gloucester Harbury Battle of the M5 uh, against Worcester Warriors Harbury just about tipped at 28 points to 24 and a thrilling encounter yeah, such a tight game. Um, and I think we both went for Gloucester Hartbury. Um, but Worcester, we've seen them week in, week out now, starting to edge those performances and things are starting to come together for them. 
um, and to to lose it in the death is is really tough. I've been there. It, it's one of the most toughest things to take. Um, but yeah, I think you know the likes of Zoe Allcroft being back in the side and being you know she was top performer again for her side this week. Having played the whole game, she only played half the game um, against us and managed to get top performer. So um, yeah, I think it's it wasn't expected. I think I expected Gloucester Heartbreak to, to win the game, but not to leave it kind of that lay and and real heartbreak for, for Worcester. And I think it was a, a real tough one for them to take. Yeah, uh, ten minutes in the red, Robin. Lock the uh, the flanker crashed over to to win. So Allcroft with a, a couple of tries herself. Yeah, really good to to see her back from a an England point of view. So how's that leave us? Well, Saracens are top on sixty seven uh, with Quinton second on sixty one. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of form for the both to take into this weekend's games, which we'll get to in a second. Wasp game in hand, only two points behind Loughborough uh, as they look to go third. Extra semi-final chance. The other took a knock, didn't they, with that with that loss to Saracens? But with three three games still remaining, it, it's definitely still possible mathematically. Anyway, same for Gloucester Hartbury as well. Worcester only one point ahead of Bristol uh, as they look to retain seventh, which could be their best finish since the Premier Fifteens began. Uh, just wonder if that secured was. Her top four place with the games remaining. They've got Sale, DMP, Costa Hartbury and Bristol. It's there or thereabouts. It's in their hands, isn't it? That's that's all you want as a player, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You you want to have the opportunity to, to play into it. And you know, if you if you go in on form, then those final games are all gonna be wins. Uh and you know, potentially Three of those definitely bonus points with the likes of the, the, the side that Wasps is. Well, that beautifully segues us to the fixtures this weekend. It's must win for Exeter, isn't it? Uh, they are hosting Loughborough on Saturday. Yeah, well, I think it's must win for, for both sides. For both. Yeah. yeah, so it's going to be an absolute cracker of a game. You know, both coming out this weekend of, of on the back of losses. So I know it's, it's something that's always said, but you do learn so much and you always bounce back the following week. So it's going to be an absolute cracker of the game. Hmm. Oh, it's really tough to call, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Loughborough. Burf's going off, but I'm going to go extra. Uh, so there we go. You have it there. What's against Sale? Another game on Saturday. Wasps on the current form that they're on right now. Um, it'll be really good to see Megan Joes up against Casey Daly McLean um, and watching how um, she can pull the strings and and just seeing how that kind of battle turns out. That'd be really interesting. You're going Wasps, are you? Yes. Wasps to win. I should agree with you. DMP against Hartbury. Sorry, Gloucester Hartbury. Gloucester Hartbury. They're they're really competitive at the moment and um and we know that DMP are just not where they will be or can be. Um so yeah, Gloucester Hartbury. And you 
uh, rugby, and that's you know one of the main reasons we 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 love the sport is the fact that if one cog's not working, the whole thing doesn't work. But there seems to be a, a steal, a resolve to to cross the heartbreak, and it coincides with the return of Zoe Aldcroft. Now, I know Worcester, Laura Keats is playing really, really big, well at the beginning of the season. She gets injured, they lose their way slightly. Can can players like that be that influential on a squad and therefore results? Oh, hugely! Just in terms of their their presence. When you've got a player that's got huge quality, it makes you have more confidence in your side. So having someone back and and someone like, you know, the two names that you led, you brought up there, Laura Keats and Zoe Alcroft, their leadership skills in what they do and how they can support others and what they do with the ball in hand, off the ball, it drives everybody. And, and when you've got then everybody driving another couple of percent, then it elevates the whole side. So they can be so instrumental in in lifting their entire side and um, transforming results. There's an obvious joke there about Harlequins at the moment and what have you, but I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't go there. Yeah, you know <laughs> I wouldn't go there. Uh, you're away at Saris this weekend. Yeah, Yo. big game. Huge game. It always is. Um, but, you know, both teams are in a very different place this year. You know, we've had wins, we've had losses, um, you know. So it's going to be a really, really entertaining game, as it always is. I think, you know, it's going to be tight. It's not going to be a big scoreline one way or the other. I'm absolutely back in Harlequins. I think we've had um, an incredible season of ups and downs. We've learned a lot. We've developed a lot. We've got a lot of young players coming through or just new talent coming in. And I think we're in a really, really good place uh, for this weekend. And you are predicting? Harlequins. I'm going Saracens. Sunday, Worcester against Bristol. Worcester. I think Bristol are in a bad place at the moment. And it, I think they're really struggling to get themselves out of it. And, and Worcester just seem to be on this, you know, they level up each week they're playing. They'll take loads from the weekend that's just gone by and they'll probably think that they should have won that game. Um, and I think they'll look at Bristol and think there's an opportunity here and, you know, we want to secure that that spot above them. Yeah, I'm going to go Worcester as well. So your predictions then was Wasps are going to beat Sale, Gloucester are going to beat DMP, Harlequin's going to beat Saracens. These are all oh, it's two away wins there. You're going Loughborough to beat Exeter. Exeter. And you're going Worcester to beat Bristol. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Worcester, uh, I'm going to go Exeter and I'm going to go Saracen. So two differences. And that's possibly the only reason why I've done what I've done. Uh, Yarnbury Rugby Club are setting up a women's team. Well done, all involved, but particular to Chap, you know. Uh, oh no, I thought it said I thought it was Charlie Beckett, but it's not. It's Charlie Beach, the old. Uh, <laughs> the uh, it, uh, it says in the notes prop. I was like, yeah, Charlie Beckett won't won't, won't thank me for calling him a prop. No, uh, Charlie Beach, who I believe is son-in-law for Sir Ian McGeekin. Oh wow! Yeah, bit of trivia for you. Uh, Exwas and Bath, England under-20s man, uh, who had set up a women's team in Weatherby as well. So, yeah, already 20 players already signed up there. So, well done, Charlie Beach. 
and Yarbury Rugby Club. Um, yes. Let's finish up with a few shout outs then. Berth, uh, Alex Donovan has stepped away from international rugby. Uh, yeah, she's said that she's going to carry on supporting it where she can because she yeah, followed in her father's footsteps as a as a Welsh international, which is a personal trainer and yoga, that kind of stuff, isn't she? So, uh, yeah, we wish her all the best for the future. Craig Wallace is still smashing it, Berth. Yeah, they are. I mean, my mind's still blown about how many steps that they're doing. But, yeah, just a huge congratulations to Craig and everybody at Warsaw Rugby Club. You know, they're now over 49 million steps. That's unbelievable. Um, but the most important thing is that they're less than £300 away from their original target. So please, please, if you can spend a pound or here or a euro here, then please, please do to do go towards such a good cause. Yeah, just giving. Search Warsaw Rugby Club. March steps in March, something along those lines, isn't it? Uh, no, that's not good enough. What is it? It is moving March, moving March for Warsaw Rugby Club. So, uh, yes, give those a, a try. Huge congratulations to former referee, very good referee on a day as well. Uh, she's now the uh, the lady who heads up all the referees for World Rugby. Elhambra Nieves, uh, she's expecting another baby with her partner, Alberto. Congratulations to them. Yeah, congratulations to those guys. And just to revisit again, Jill Burns, MBE, um, is sending a message and what is calling out for all regional and development women's rugby representatives. Honours caps are now available for those who paid pre-2012. Um, if you check out the Facebook um, details for Midlands to, you know, Southwest, Southeast, um, across all the, the regions, um, get in touch and you can um, receive your honours caps there. Yeah, it's, oh, it's just brilliant, isn't it, from Jill Bird. Did, did you mention the MBE? Of course I did. <laughs> goodness. Thank goodness. Uh, Holly Davidson, got to give you a shout out as well. Neighbours referee for the uh, Pro 14 game between Munster and Benetton. We know Joe Neville's been doing some great things, isn't she? Uh, in the trucks at TMO, that uh, England-France game, making that brilliant, uh, very, very clear, concise, correct decision, you and I felt. Um, but yeah, she's a TMO. So first top flight fixture where both positions are filled by females. Another little win. Yeah, no, really, really brilliant. And, you know, good luck to her. Indeedy so. Uh, next week then, Berth, that draws close on, a, on, a, on another week. Great to hear from, from Alison. But we're just going to start to ramp it up now. Six Nations is on its way. Uh, of course, we'll uh, we'll have a bit of a debrief from uh, that huge game from Saracens and Harlequins. Uh, but yes, Lark Davis, top try scorer in the Premier 15s, is on next week. We are also hoping, uh, in addition to Lark, to having two of the Six Nations captains on as well. Should the unions allow, yeah, hopefully going to get uh, the Scotland captain and the Wales captain, Sean Lillycrap and Rachel Malcolm on the pod. So hopefully we hear back from those unions and we can get them on and just really, yeah, get the napkin, pop it in the top of the shirt there and really tuck into the Six Nations from next week. Because now we know what's going on, which is delightful. So, yeah, it's a brilliant week all round. Um, huge thank you to Alison Hughes for coming on and, as we say, yeah, giving some, some in-depth detail to what is a, a, a groundbreaking 
announcement from World Rugby. And yes, there there is a slight sense. Spoke to to one friend actually uh, this week, and it's just a, a touch of jealousy that, uh, that the women's game is is doing things and doing properly, uh, and the men's game is in in such a mess. So uh, anyway, this is not. A, Battle of the sexist thing, but um, no, it's uh, it's brilliant news for for the women's game. Thank you to our team, to Tom, to Harry, to Jenny, to Rugby Nut, to Sean, to Emerson. Uh, I haven't missed anyone, have I? Maybe no. everyone. <laughs> Good. Um, and remember, what should everyone do in the meantime? Birth in the week, if you haven't already, of course. Yeah, look, catch us on social media, get in touch with us. Uh, we're at Pod Women's Rugby on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. You can find us anywhere at the moment. So please do get in touch and give us your shout outs. Let us know what's happening. Obviously, you know, rugby's coming back. So let us know what your clubs have got involved and what they're doing. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yep, get that training going. Uh, and the Six Nations is coming. Catch you in a week's time. Until next time.